complete salvation. We thank You for Your blood and for Your name. Father, we thank You, Lord, for truth, O God. We thank You for revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Father, we thank You, Lord Jesus, for, oh, Your great salvation. We bind every spirit right now, Lord, by Your great name and Your great power. Lord, we bind the spirits of the enemy, Lord Jesus, that would already try to come in and disrupt, O God. We bind every human spirit, Lord, right now in this place and the name of Jesus. We command him to be, his mouth to be shut right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. At the very mention of your name, Jesus, the devils must flee, O oh God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Let nothing come into this place of a disruptive nature, Lord Jesus. Let no lying spirit, O oh God, be allowed to enter in or even be in this place today, Lord Jesus. Jesus, let us set our hearts and minds upon the things of you, Lord Jesus. Let us come here today hungering and thirsting and desiring more of you today, Lord Jesus. Not of our own will, not of our own estimation, O God. Lord, we are your servants. We belong to you. We are not our own today. Father, we are bought with a price today. We are bought with the price of your blood. We do not belong to ourselves, O oh God. We are your servants, Lord Jesus. We are your workmanship today, O oh God. Lord, let us be pliable and submitted to your will and to your way, to your word today, Lord Jesus. Let us have a heart to receive impartation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Lord, let us receive revelation from you, God. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus. Worthy God, you're worthy God, you're worthy God, you're worthy God, you're worthy God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your will be done today, God. Your kingdom come today. Lord, your plan, your purpose, your will. We are not our own, Lord Jesus. Not our will. Not our way, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We lay our lives down, O God, before you today. In your house, in your presence, O God, there's fullness of joy today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, have your way in this place today. Have your way in this service today. Every part, oh God, every word that's spoken, Lord, let there might be a mighty anointing, oh God, upon the ears of your people today, upon the hearts and minds of your people today. Lord, I pray a spirit of anointing, O oh God, upon us right now. I bind every spirit of disruption right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We've been talking about, uh, we've been going through this exploring God's Word lessons. And, and so we're just going to continue on a, as a brief 
uh, kind of a step back where we left off at. We were talking about Noah and how the, the world had become very wicked. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And uh, Noah was warned of God. The Bible says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet, not seen as yet, moved with fear. He hadn't seen the rain yet. He hadn't seen the flooding, but God told him, there's going to be rain, there's going to be flood, and there's going to be destruction. And Noah didn't just keep it to himself. He didn't just tell his family and just leave it at that. Noah tried his best. He did his best to tell everybody he could tell. And he suffered the slings and the arrows. He suffered the ridicule. He suffered all of the words that were spoken against him. The mocking and the lies and all the things that were spoken against him. Yet he continued to preach righteousness. Yet he continued to warn the people. Even whether they didn't know what rain was or not, he continued to warn the people, it's coming. It's coming. And so the day came that it did start raining. It rained for 40 days. And pretty soon those same people were beating on the side of the boat, begging them to let them in. It was too late. They had their chance when the doors were open. And as we understand it, Noah, the door was so big that there's no man, human person could have shut that door. God shut the door to the ark. And so only God could open that door. And so Noah just basically stood inside and said, I'm sorry, I can't help you now. I've been preaching this message of righteousness for a hundred years and you haven't listened. Now it's too late. And so humankind was judged. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 through 44, it reads like this. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore. There's your warning. The writer of the book of Hebrews was telling us, God's not doesn't work in a vacuum. It wasn't just a one-time event. It was a picture of something else that was coming, another judgment. And so God was warning them in that day, and He's warning us today. Watch, therefore, for you know not the hour that your Lord doth come. Not one person in this room, not one person listening online, not one person around this world, they might try to tell you they know, but they don't. Nobody knows the day or the hour. No one. And he goes on to say, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known 
in what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched. He'd have been sitting on the couch in the living room in the dark with his Glock in his hand waiting. If you want to put it in common terms that we can understand, he would have watched. He wouldn't have allowed the thief to break in and to steal and have his house broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. We go, aren't we just about like that today? I'm teaching a Bible study here. Aren't we just about like that today? We're we're marrying, we're giving in marriage, we're we're eating and drinking, we're we're spending our time and going on vacation and doing all the things that we're doing, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But are we really paying attention to what really is going on? Because the the least likely thing that they thought would be their destruction was their destruction. They chose, just like Adam and Eve chose. See, God gave us this gift of choice. And Adam and Eve chose and made their decision. And they lived with the results of their decision. I heard one preacher say that we make decisions, but God is in charge of the outcome of our decisions. Because if you believe that He is, the Bible says you must first believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So if you believe that God is real, and if you believe that God is in charge of your life, you have to believe that He's in charge of everything that happens in your life. Even if you make bad decisions. (laughs) And you aren't the first one and neither am I to make a bad decision. And you won't be the last. And so the, the flood happened and the world was destroyed and, and uh, the ark ended up sitting on top of a mountain called Ararat and God allowed the door to open and the animals to all depart. And, and He told Noah and his sons to go forth and, and multiply and increase the earth. Start over. Amen. So God doesn't just do things haphazardly. He sent four married couples, three of which that could probably produce children and did, to replenish the earth. Amen? And so we get into lesson three, the origins of languages in the beginning of nations. Genesis 10.1 says, Now these are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. So God in His mercy saved a few people. You know, He's the Creator. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. He doesn't owe us an explanation for why he's doing what he's doing, how he's doing it, or when he's making it happen. I didn't get an explanation when God said, go to Wisconsin and serve me there. That's all I got were those words. You will go to Wisconsin and you will serve me there. No explanation, no details, nothing. 
So what did I do? I had a choice, didn't I? But God, I like my family, and I like being around family, and I like it here in, in Louisville, and I, I don't want to go to Wisconsin. And so I, I could have just said, well, that was just, I had too much pizza for dinner last night. I didn't hear from God. So I could have just blown that off and stayed where I was. And Lord knows where I'd be right now. Lord knows. But I was like these men in the Bible. I was obedient. I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. It didn't make sense. But I just did it because I felt very strongly that God had spoken to me. And as a matter of fact, he did. Amen. And so we're going to. We're going to get into this, uh, moving on to Lesson 3, talking about the origin of languages in the beginning of nations after the flood. So once again, just like what happened with Adam and Eve, as time went on, mankind got to feeling his oats, if you will, and he, he once again... The overwhelming majority of humankind disobeyed the voice of God. It's just how he made us. Just because of Adam and Eve, just because of that sin nature that we have, it's in us to disobey God. And humankind made the choice to begin to disobey God. He had told them specific details about what they needed to do to go forth and multiply. Instead of spreading out over the over the earth, they located in one specific area and decided to stay there and build a city. Sort of like thumbing their nose at God and saying, we know better. Because we all kind of like hanging around each other. We don't want to be separated. I don't want to have to be the only one going to that city or that or creating and starting a city or whatever. I want to kind of stay with the group. So they made their own plan. And so the whole earth at that time was of one language and one speech. Now, we, we would like to believe that everybody in the world speaks English, but they don't. It is an international language. And when we were in Japan, we were trying to teach English to a Japanese girl about 18, and she knew how to read English. I could have handed her a, a novel, and she could have read every word from cover to cover. But if you asked her what she just read, she just went like this. I don't know, just some words. She knew how to pronounce the letters, but she had no clue what it meant. Amen? And so the people of God decided to do their own thing. And so they, they kind of took on a self-centered attitude. Anybody in this room guilty of that? I have been. I'll, I'll admit it, and it was it, it could have been as as recently as yesterday or even this morning. If you knew that you needed to get up at five and pray, but you didn't because you said I like being under these sheets and it's comfortable, and I'll just sleep till six. That's a little self-centered. If God's trying to get you up early, you decided to do what you wanted to do. Right? Am I right? I know I'm right. I know I'm right because I'm talking about me. <laughs> Hallelujah. This flesh is no good. It'll lie to you all day long. By design. 
And it'll cause you to disregard God's command and God's gentle nudging for you to get up. He might have something for you, but you first have to get up. And so these people wanted to have their own city, and so they they, they did remember that there was a flood. They, they, everybody knew about the flood and the destruction of the earth. And they knew that this God that, that had put them there, that the one that they were disobeying, that he had created everything. He, he created the earth and the seas and the waters, and he controlled all of that, and he controlled the sun, moon, and stars. And so they decided that um, they were going to build a tower. And it says that they, they, they desired to build a tower under the heavens. Under heaven, I believe is what it says. And so they weren't trying to reach to heaven like we think of. Like that, that place where we're all going to go, in Jesus' name. But in their mind up there, the stars and the clouds and the firmament and all that, they were trying to reach that. They had no clue about distance and light years and any of that kind of stuff in that day. All they knew was that somewhere up there is where he was. And so they built this tower, and I don't know exactly how tall it was, but to them, as as tall a tower as they could build, they were trying to reach under the heavens. So that they could get as close to God. They were, I guess you could say in a sense, trying to get close to God. But they were doing it man's way. And so God noticed this. He did. Genesis 11, verse 6 through 7, says this. Behold, the people... Is one. That's what God said. He recognized when the people were united toward the same effort, toward the same goal. Even if they were totally carnal and fleshly and just totally out of the will of God, He still recognized that they were all focused on getting to the same point. And He said, They have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Whatever their imagination is, as crazy as their imagination can go, nothing's going to stop them. That's what God said about those people. What did he say next? Go, let us go down and there confound their language. Not the way I would have guessed God would have done it. But God has an amazing way of doing things outside of our understanding that we would have never. We, we, we would say, I, I would have never done it that way. And so he confounded their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So if you could imagine everybody in this room, we all understand English and speak English. And some of you might speak other languages or at least understand them. But all of a sudden, if God started changing, he just changed your brain just like that. Where all you knew was German, or all you knew was Russian, or all you knew was Spanish or French. And all of a sudden, you couldn't understand a word I was saying. And you started speaking in your language, and you somebody across the room heard you speaking in French, and they said, Wee, oui, wee, oui, I know, you know, whatever they say in French. 
I know French. And so that's what happened. And so those, all the French-speaking people all got together and went and did their thing. And all the German-speaking people got together and went and did their thing. And that's how God scattered them and stopped them from doing their own will. You think, you think God pays attention to stuff we do? Even just one of us? You think he does? If he wants us to go that way, and we're trying to go that way, do you think he's paying attention? Do you think he, out of his mercy and love and grace for us, he really wants us to go that way? Because there's, there's something good for us if we would just obey him and go that way. But the hard part is just obeying. I guess you could call it blind obedience. Because I had no clue. I had never lived here. Never wanted to live here. <laughs> I didn't. Never. The thought never crossed my mind. There was nothing bad about Wisconsin. I just the thought never crossed my mind. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, from my perspective, God knew what he was doing, but out of nowhere, I get this, this word from God like, what? So, so then when I was telling my family, I was trying to justify, well, at least he didn't send me to Alaska <laughs> to encourage my family that I'm not very far away. So by introducing different languages among the people, the Lord stopped their sinful effort. What do you mean their, their sinful effort? Their effort was sinful? Well, of course it was. Because that's not what God told them to do. And anything that is not according to what God has directed for you in your life is considered rebellion. And rebellion, the Bible says, is as the sin of witchcraft. And it's, whatever it is, it's contrary to the will of God. How many really want to be contrary to the will of God in your life? Can I get anybody in here to raise your hand? Nobody? I'm just raising mine as an example to try to lure you in. I don't want to be contrary to the will of God. I know what you're thinking. Right? If you go outside and stand in front of the church and you just stand there and look up and start saying, wow. And you don't say anything, and people start walking by pretty soon. Other people will start looking up, and wow, and pretty soon you'll have 10 or 12 people out there looking up, and then you just walk away. <laughs> you just look. So that's what I was trying to do is get somebody to raise their hand. Nobody wants to be out of the will of God? Really? Come on. Even for a little while, just be in charge for just five minutes? So nobody's ever wanted to be in charge in the last 48 hours of their life. Nobody has said, I'm, I got stuff I got to do. I'm going to do my stuff. Well, I spent 30 minutes with God this morning, so he's all good with that. Check, check the box. I'm going to go do my thing now. I got to go to the store. I got, not that those things are wrong, but is that the will of God? Did you ask God, what do you want me to do today? Because we don't want to really ask that. <laughs> we really don't. 
<laughs> he might tell us to go do something we don't really want to do in our flesh that's totally contrary to what we had planned for today. He might tell you something like, move to Kentucky. Hallelujah. I'll encourage you in the Lord if he tells you. Hallelujah. I must say, though, it's been a blessing from the day I got here. Through all the trials and tests and difficulties of being here, and the snow was not one of them. So don't even think that that was not a discourager. I've been around it before. But it's been a blessing being here. And I'm glad I did it. It was rough at first, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I obeyed God. And I still don't 100% know exactly why I'm here. But that doesn't matter. All that matters is, is I'm pleasing to Him. Amen? So God dispersed the people. And so there was three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right? Shem's sons were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad. That's an important name right there. Remember that one? Lud. Hope I'm not chopping these names up. Aram. And some of the nations that sprang from these sons were the Persians, which we Persia is what we would call Iran today. In that area, Assyrians, Chaldeans, Hebrews, Lydians, and Syrians. They settled in Assyria, Syria, Assyria, Syria, Persia, northern Arabia, and Mesopotamia. Ham's sons were Cush, Mizraim, Mizraim, Phut, Canaan. And some of the nations that sprung out of these were the Ethiopians, the Egyptians, the Libyans, and the Canaanites. Ham's descendants settled in Africa and Arabia. And this has been historically proven, I believe. And so Japheth's sons were were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiraz. From them came the Russians, Germans, Britons, Scythians, Medes, Ionians, Athenians, Iberians, and Thracians. They settled in Asia Minor, Caucasia, and Europe. So a lot of us European people came out of Japheth's lineage. Right? We did. I'm not, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. We did. If you're from Europe of any sort or, or whatever, amen. So time went on, and these, these people were scattered. And they went to all these places and began to multiply and replenish the earth. And we have... Seven point something billion people on the earth today. All out of four families. Isn't that amazing? God's been in control that whole time. So Abraham, just like in the days of Noah, God looked upon the earth and found that, uh, that there was one man with whom he could make a covenant. This man had come from Ur of Chaldees, and his father was Terah. And Terah was of the lineage of Arphaxad that we mentioned earlier. So, once again, God's, he's keeping track. He knows what he's doing. 
The man's name was Abram. The Lord told Abram to leave his country, his kindred, and his father's house to journey to a land that God would show him. The Lord promised, I will make thee a great nation. Make of thee a great nation. And this is in Genesis 12, 2-3. And I will bless thee and make my name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee, this is an important statement right here. This is what God said. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Are we families of the earth? Does that include us? Are we blessed today? We were grafted in, weren't we? We've been, we received the promise of the Father. Did we not? If we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, if we've been baptized in Jesus' name, we have been entered into the kingdom according to the pattern that God set. Isn't that amazing? God wasn't making this stuff up as He went. He was doing it very, very, very specifically. Abraham obeyed the Lord and left his home in Haran when he was 75 years years old brother terry <laughs> lord but i don't want to move to kentucky i'm 75 i'm i'm retired lord call somebody else call somebody younger you know i have to think sometimes that what if the Lord calling me out of Kentucky to Wisconsin kept me from being lost. What if God knew that some circumstance or situation was going to happen in my life that would cause me to want to turn from Him and go another way? I know we shouldn't what if ourselves, but what if? What if God in His mercy knew that bringing me here would keep me saved. If that's true, and it could be, I would much rather be here and be obedient and be saved than to have my own will, have my own way, do what I want to do, and be lost. Just simply because I disobeyed God. And God doesn't just do that to certain special people, because I am not special. Not in my own eyes. I'm special to him. Don't get me wrong. God can call anybody. He called that lady from Indiana that was that her husband had passed away, and she was in her 70s, and he called her to some little town like Bemidji or something up in Minnesota, way up there in the, the north country, to start a church. And he gave her a new husband to boot. And that was her first convert. But God called a 70-something-year-old lady to go start a church somewhere. So don't sit there and say, God can't use me. He will if you will let him. You know, God's a gentleman, right? He won't force you to do anything. He won't even force you to be saved. you got to choose. T- He's going to give you the desire, to, but you gotta, you got to go with that. You gotta run with that. God was prompting me. God was dealing with me. God was planting 
using people to plant stuff in my life. But ultimately, I had to get up out of my seat and walk up to an altar and pray and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I had to make the decision that I needed to go out to the East China Sea and get baptized in Jesus' name. Nobody could make me do that. And I'm glad I did it. Aren't you? Not glad that I did it. Aren't you glad you did it? Amen. You're glad I did it too. Yeah, okay. Hallelujah. Decisions that you made that you didn't know you were going to make. Because that one decision... To do that, that decision to, that I made to walk into that recruiter's office and join the military started the process of something that just kept perpetuating. And I ended up in that church in Okinawa and get saved. And I raised two sons in, in apostolic truth. I didn't raise them as, as Roman Catholics like I was raised. I raised them different. And God broke a chain. God broke something in our lineage right there, and he changed something because of a decision that I made. And I have seven grandchildren today that are serving God as far as I know. And so the, the repercussions of one decision, those people when they were outside that ark, when the rain was falling, were feeling the repercussions of their one decision. We don't have time to, to fudge and, and mess around and waffle and just, I don't know, I don't know. I, let me think about it. You know, I just read to you Matthew 24. You, you need to go read Matthew 24, all of it. Not just that little part I read. There's going to be a judgment that's coming. There, I'm telling you right now, there's a judgment that's coming. You can call me whatever you want. There's a judgment that's coming, and he's going to burn this earth the Bible says that he's going to melt it with a fervent heat. And there's going to be a judgment. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the President of the United States, the King of, of Saudi Arabia. You're going to stand before this judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to give an account. Amen? Every doctor that's aborted one baby is going to give an account. Everybody, you're going to give an account. Those people gave an account. They gave their lives because they made a wrong decision. Amen? Trying to get through this. So, God gave Abraham a promise. That he would make him... A great nation. And so God told Abraham and Sarah that he was going to give them a son. And he was around 75 when God told him that. And so God will tell you stuff. Then he won't fulfill it for a while. He'll prophesy over you and he'll, he'll say things about your ministry and, he'll, and you won't see it for 20 years. David was anointed king, but he never set one foot on the throne until 20 years later. Because God's timing is perfect. 
And so what it what happened with Abraham and Sarah? Well, they just like human beings, they decided to take matters into their own hands. And Sarah, who had an Egyptian handmaid named Hagar, said to Abraham, Abram, sorry, Abram, Genesis 16 and 2, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. She decided that God just changed his mind. God must not have, he must not remember what he said. Because he's old. Can't remember stuff. Right? I pray thee, go unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain the children by her. She was so hung up on having children that she forgot that God said he was going to take care of that problem. So she took matters into her own hand. And Abraham <coughs> acted on his wife's counsel. And it was actually according to the custom of that time. And out of that was a young man by the name of Ishmael was born of this union by trying to help God out because they could no see no visible sign of his promise coming to pass. Abram and Sarah brought many sorrows to their family. Ishmael and their son Isaac would have conflicts. The seeds were sown with conflict between Arabs and the Jews. The seeds were sown for conflict between the Arabs and the Jews, nations who sprang from these two men. And it's believed, and it's, I believe it's, it's borne out that Ishmael is, the direct descendants of Ishmael are the Muslims that we have with us today. And what two groups are just constantly at each other's throats? The Jews and the Muslims. All because Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands. And God told told Ishmael's mother when she was out in the desert and just about ready to die and lay that baby under a bush, he said, don't worry, I'm going to bless this young man and and he's going to be a great nation. And he is today a great nation. God don't lie. So God made a covenant with Abraham. Genesis 17, 1 through 2. And when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make uh, my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. As Abraham fell on his face before God, the Lord continued to talk with him. God renewed his promise to make him the father of many nations and changed the name, his name to Abraham. Abram means high father. Abraham means father of the multitude. He also changed Sarai, S-A-R-A-I's name, to Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. Sarai means princess. Sarah means my princess. I think God changed my name when I got saved. I think he changes something. I take that back. He does change something. You take on a new name. You take on a new name. When a husband and wife get married, the wife forfeits her maiden name. It's because she, when she was a maiden, when she, before she was married, and she takes on her husband's name. So when we get married to Jesus, we take on his name in water baptism. 
Abraham, <clears throat> let's see here. Then God gave a token of his covenant. What's a token? What's a token? It's a physical emblem or a sign. Okay? This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed, between you and thy seed after thee. Every man, this is in Genesis 17, 10 through 11. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise all the flesh of, of your foreskin, and it shall be a token between me and you. And what did Abraham do? He immediately went out. Immediately. He obeyed God. He immediately went out, took his son Ishmael and all the male members of his household, and they were all circumcised the same day in obedience to God's Word. Sometimes God's going to tell you to do stuff, and you're just going to go, number one, you're going to say, I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing that. To which God's going to say, I know. That's why I'm asking you to do it, so that you can let me do it through you. How many young men have said, I can't pastor a church, but today they're doing it. Because God sent them and he said, I'll, I'll handle it. You just go in there and be obedient. And I'll make it happen. Because the Bible says that if the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, they that, build, they that try to build it are building it in vain. You're building it under yourself if God's not building it. And so God was separating them by this act of circumcision. And so today, if I can make the parallel, we, when we take on the name of Jesus, when we repent of our sins, that initial repentance, and I, let me caveat that by saying repentance is not just something you do one time. It's just so you can get the Holy Ghost and get baptized in Jesus' name. Repentance should be a daily lifestyle. Because your sin nature is still there. He doesn't take away your sin nature. What? You mean i got to deal with this guy? Yeah. But he gives you power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you to live above sin. But you still have this flesh to deal with. And so you have to have this, this attitude of repentance every day of your life. To humble yourself before God. So Abraham sent Abraham was sent out and he took his his nephew Lot with him and they went out and began to walk and he didn't really say where to go he just said go and so they went and so after a time Abraham and Lot became very wealthy and they had lots of herds and and lots of cattle and sheep and all the manner of things and pretty soon it got to where they were having a little bit of disagreement with each other And then Genesis 13, 8 through 9, it says, let, uh, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we, are, we were brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I will take, go to the right. If you depart to the right then, hand, then I will go to the left. It was too crowded for them. And so what what happened is that Lot, it says here in Genesis 13, 13, it says, 
that he then he then journeyed east, separating himself from Abraham and pitched his tent in the direction of Sodom. This provided to be a this proved this proved to be a mistake for Lot. For the people of Sodom were wicked and terrible sinners in the Lord's eyes. It is always dangerous to go in the direction of sin. Be careful which direction you pitch your tent. Be careful the things that you allow yourself to look at, to listen to, to receive into your spirit. Be careful what you read. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. There's a Father up above, and He's looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because these eyes and these ears are gates into your soul. And so you got to be careful. you got to be careful. <clears throat> so what happened to Lot? Well, he ended up in Sodom. You pitch your tent towards Sodom, you're going to end up there. So Lot ended up in Sodom. He ended up in that sinful place. And I'm not going to go into all the things that that Sodom represented, but if you want to just get a pretty good picture of what Sodom represented, just kind of look at our world today. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. What you determine is right may not be what I determine is right. And what I determine is right may not be what you determine is right. So I decide what's right. And whether it might not be the same right that you decide, but I'm going to decide what's right, and I'm going to do what I want to do. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. And so that's why we have multiple genders. or That's why people's, people are saying we have. There's only two. <laughs> There's somewhere in the neighborhood, if, if you depend on who you ask, in the neighborhood of about 57 right now and counting. People are identifying as birds and everything else. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's not going to work if you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. But God, I identify as a cardinal. It's not how He created you. And so God. In his mercy, he sent Abraham to deliver to deliver Lot and his family out of Sodom. And it it wasn't just a simple matter of them walking away. They 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 got so much Sodom in them that they almost couldn't walk away. And literally, God, in his mercy, sent two angels. I don't know what they looked like, Brother Becker. They might have been like two Arnold Schwarzenegger types or something, but it says that they literally dragged them out of the city. So two big bodyguards. And the people in that city, in the Bible it says that people in that city were so wicked, these these angels must have looked like men because the, the men in that city that were doing things that were unspeakable and an abomination to God were, thought that they wanted to have something to do with those two men that were angels. And so 
When you separate yourself from the world, you need to just completely cut it off. And so as they're leaving Sodom, as God's getting ready to rain down, and, and God in His mercy said, if I can just find ten, people, ten righteous people in this city, I won't destroy it. And He couldn't even find ten. And so as they're leaving, what happened? Lot's wife had to take one last look. It was like the people of Israel leaving Egypt. Man, I'm sure going to miss those leeks and onions, aren't you? I'm sure going to miss those beatings, aren't you? I'm sure going to miss making those bricks, aren't you? She just had to take one more look. You, you just Once you turn away from that stuff, don't ever look back at it. Don't ever look back at it. Don't ever think about it. Man, I remember when we used to. You can fill in the blank right there. I'll stop. Don't even reminisce about it. Because she was reminiscing and she turned around and the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. I, I was watching a documentary on YouTube and they were actually over in that part of the country and they actually, on the video, they had a picture of this pillar that was pretty tall that had been there for thousands of years. And the guy in the video believed that that very well could be what used to be Lot's wife. I don't even think it mentions her name in the Bible. It doesn't. Just Lot's wife. You might, have, you might make a decision to serve God. I made that decision 34 years ago, give or take. And none of my family to this day is still serving God. None of my family has ever come to this truth. And sometimes I feel like that. Like I'm like I, the, the devil just wants me to look back and wish I was back with that. But I don't. I don't want that. There's nothing back there I want. When God delivers you out of a lifestyle like that, there really is nothing back there you want. Trust me. Don't believe it. If, the, if you're feeling that in your brain, it's not you. The devil's trying to destroy you. He, he's come to do three things. What are they? Steal, kill, and destroy. He has come, Jesus has come, that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. And God will send angels. And, and God will tell you things. keep you saved. So Abraham's faith was tested. And I'm going to end with this. So he finally got that son he was promised. Isaac finally came to be. Everybody was excited. And then one day God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to take him up on the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham didn't even blink. He didn't flinch. He just said, okay. Just like Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And so he did. He packed up a mule. He packed up all the stuff, the wood and everything for the altar. And, and told his son, come on, we're going to go up on the mountain. And what did he say? To worship. <laughs> he was speaking by faith. 
We're going up there to worship. He didn't know what was going to happen, but all he knew from before was, I got to obey God. I got to, I just have to obey God. I can't question, just do what he said. So he gets him all the way up there, and halfway up, the son says, Hey, hey, Dad, I see that we got the fire and all the stuff and the mule, but where's the sacrifice? Like a kid asking. And what did God say? What did Abraham, I'm sorry, what did Abraham say? Yes, go ahead, Wayne. God will provide himself a sacrifice. And so they get up there, and Abraham fixed to start putting the altar together, and he gets his son up on the altar and ties him down, and he's probably looking at him like, really? <laughs> really, Dad? And Abraham, he gets the knife in his hand, and he's standing before his son, and just when he's about ready to just jam that knife into his son and kill him, God speaks to him and says, stop. Because he was willing, he knew that he was willing to do it to that point. And he told Abraham, and I'm paraphrasing, he told him to turn, and he turned and looked, and there in the in the thicket, a bunch of bushes on one side, was a ram caught in the thicket. God sent the replacement. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> God sent us a replacement. We're going to end with this for today. God sent us a replacement. Somebody to receive the just reward of our sin that we deserve. We were the ones that deserved to go to that cross. Barabbas deserved to go to that cross. He had he had been part of an insurrection. He was he was wicked. He was evil. The name Barabbas, you know what it means? Son of a father. Son of a father. And who was the one that took Barabbas' place? The son of the father. Jesus' name. Father, we love you today. We praise you today, Lord. I hope and I pray, Lord Jesus, that something that's been said here today has caught been caught in the ears and the mind of somebody in this room or online, Lord, that you've spoken to somebody, Lord. It's just me. I'm just your vessel, Father. I'm just speaking what you have me to say. Father, that you would do the rest, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of your people, the hearts of those that have heard this today, Lord Jesus, that you would move upon them. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to study through this Bible study, Lord Jesus, and that you would not only allow us to hear this Bible study, but that you would allow us the opportunity, Lord, to go out and to teach this to somebody, Lord, to lead somebody to truth, Father. We thank you for the blessed opportunity to be in this place today. We pray you're, you're covering over the remainder of this service today. Plead your blood over it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. Hallelujah. You're, you're released. <laughs>